This is a Squeeze podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. This week, our podcast is brought to you by BHP. Reducing greenhouse gas emissions in the production of copper is critical. That's why BHP has committed to solar, wind and battery agreements to help power their copper mine at Olympic Dam in South Australia. It's happening now at BHP. Visit bhp.com forward slash critical to find out more. Australia's National Disability Insurance Scheme, the NDIS, has been operating in some parts of the country now for more than a decade. But what has been a fundamental shift in how we support and care for Aussies living with a disability has not been without its problems. In this episode of Squish Shortcuts, we're going to first take a few steps back and look at the thinking behind the NDIS, as well as how it came into existence. And then we'll look at why there's pretty universal agreement that the costs need to be reined in. Squish Shortcuts is your backstory to the big news stories. I'm Alex Ty. And I'm Claire Kimball. Claire, the reason why we're talking about the NDIS now is that last week, the Albanese government's minister for the service, Bill Shorten, released a review of the NDIS in the wake of problems with the scheme, including huge cost blowouts. But first, let's look back at how and why the NDIS was created in the first place. And to understand why the NDIS was created, we need to look at what existed before it. It was a patchwork of systems administered by the states and territories. And for the 4.3 million Australians living with a disability, it was a bit of a lottery of what support you might get. So I'm talking about help with housing or home modifications, or even who might fund a wheelchair or specialist physios. Right. So under that old system, it really wasn't uncommon that, say, for a child who needed a hoist to lift them into bed, half of it might be funded by the state government, but the other half might be funded by fundraising from a local community group like Rotary. So that old system was managed under the Commonwealth State Territory Disability Agreement. And because it was such a patchwork, Claire, it was labelled underfunded, unfair, fragmented and inefficient. And Alex, cue years of discussions about the problems, Mm. the need for reform and also proposals for new models of disability support. And like many things in our federal politics, 2007 was a really pivotal year before the election that saw the coalitions John Howard defeated by Labor's Kevin Rudd. There had been a review by a Senate committee into the problems in the disability sector. And in that election campaign, Kevin Rudd promised to look at how to fund, finance and deliver disability services into the future. So after the election, they start throwing around ideas and pretty quickly this idea of a disability insurance scheme became the focus. And I put emphasis on insurance there because shifting to an insurance model was a big, big change for how disability support worked in this country. Yeah, and I'm going to paraphrase one of the architects of the new scheme, Professor Bruce Bonnyhady, who said at the time that the shift from the current crisis-driven welfare system towards a system that's more planned and longer term, uh, it would have significant improvements for people with disabilities and their families. And to drill down a little bit more, the insurance component meant that someone with a disability would be supported in the same way that, for example, someone who's had a car accident would be supported. 
the government would work with them to figure out what they need to live a full life. Yeah, as opposed, of course, to seeing funding as a short-term injection of money to meet immediate needs, there was this idea that we would shift to an insurance framework, which meant that the government had an incentive to help people early. That includes with things like early interventions to help children who might otherwise need greater support later in life. So in 2011, there was a report from the Productivity Commission which found that this approach would actually boost Australia's economy. There would be, of course, a spend from the government in the short term, but in the long term, that support would save money and grow the economy because people with a disability would have more options to participate in work and the community more broadly. Yeah, and the shift to an insurance model would also mean that people with disabilities would be directly consulted on their needs and their goals, and that money would flow directly to them rather than be given to a disability support organisation as the previous state by system saw. So that is the funding. As for who it was targeted at, Claire? Yeah, so the Productivity Commission report from 2011 said that any new disability support system should focus on those with a permanent and significant disability. And so there's all of this thinking and planning and eventually that all got put into legislation that was passed by Julia Gillard in 2013. Yeah, lots of discussions, of course, with the sector and with the states and territories as well which is why when it came to that moment to actually put it into legislation, Julia Gillard got quite emotional about it. I still remember that. I remember her being quite teary when she was talking about the need for the NDIS. She said that under the new scheme, Aussies with a disability would have, and this is the quote, the security and dignity that every Australian deserves. So the NDIS started operating on the 1st of July 2013, with some trial locations first and then working up to a national rollout in 2016. But Claire, soon after, some big problems started to emerge, and we'll get into that next. This week, our podcast is brought to you by Aware Super, one of Australia's most awarded super funds. It can be hard to know where the best place to grow your super is, but with awards like CanStar's Outstanding Value three years in a row and Money Magazine's 2024 Ultra Long Term Performance, Aware Super's 1.1 million members can be confident their super is in good hands. Visit aware.com.au forward slash awards to find out more. Awards are only one consideration. Read the PDS and TMD on the website. So, Claire, the rollout of the NDIS hasn't been without its problems. Yeah, and by far and away the biggest issue that's had a lot of attention in the past couple of years is the cost. The initial idea was that the cost would be split 50-50 between the feds and the states and territories, and if any extra money was needed, it would be stumped up by the federal government. But it turns out that a lot of extra money has been needed. And to get into some of those numbers, in 2011, the cost of the NDIS was estimated to be $13.6 billion a year, but the cost for this year actually turned out to be closer to $42 billion, according to the Australian Financial Review. Yeah, we'll get a look at some of those numbers as the government reports them, but certainly that's what's been reported in the media. It's a big difference, of course, $42 billion compared to 13.6. And when it comes to why that's the case, it's because many more people are accessing the NDIS than was originally projected. 
Yes, and we'll put some numbers to that as well. So the number of participants originally projected to be part of the NDIS was 411,000, but there are currently a lot more. This year, there are more than 600,000 participants. So the big political question that raises around the NDIS is now how to make the scheme sustainable into the future. And that brings us up to this review that was handed down last week. Uh, it was led by that Professor Bruce Bonnie-Hady. We mentioned him before as one of the original architects of the NDIS. Um, he and his team in that review made 26 recommendations. And we won't go through all of them, but one of the big ones was changes in how the NDIS is accessed. So rather than Aussies getting access to the scheme based on a medical diagnosis, instead people with a disability would be assessed for eligibility based on quote, functional impairment. Yeah, so in other words, on how much a person's disability affects their daily lives. The review also recommends that the definition of reasonable and necessary support provided by the NDIS be clarified. And the thing to know here is that how the NDIS has worked day to day is that every person participating has to turn up to a planning meeting, making the case for what they believe is reasonable and necessary for their care. Yeah, exactly. But the application of what is reasonable and necessary has been really inconsistent between individuals, which means two people asking for the same thing might get different funding. So that is why the review recommends a clearer definition of reasonable and necessary, as well as making functional impairment and not a medical diagnosis the main criteria for entry into the scheme. But what people immediately pointed out about this big recommendation is that it could mean fewer people actually gaining access to the NDIS. Yeah, and that review also has an answer to that. So to make sure that people who need support aren't missing out, the review recommends additional services be set up around the NDIS called foundational supports. These would be support services for people with less severe disabilities like mild autism or or developmental delays. Right. And for children who might have mild autism or developmental delays, the idea is that those children would go back to being the responsibility of states and territories. They would access the help they need through schools and other services. For adults with a disability that is considered to be less severe, they would be able to access things like, for example, help cooking and cleaning provided through other community services, not provided through the NDIS. Yeah, and the authors of the review say that their view is that, and this is the quote, you can't fix the NDIS without fixing everything around it. So there's this conversation about all of this being a bit back to the future, that services that were being provided pre-NDIS by the states and territories, those services would need to be provided again. We should say as well that the review recommends that all of these changes be phased in slowly over five years, so nobody is losing access to the NDIS without those other supports in place. The response from some has been tentative. Yeah, so one is the president of the People with Disabilities Australia. Her name is Nicole Lee. And she said, and this is the quote, I'm hoping that those foundational supports will actually be able to help people when they actually 
actually need it. She also said that Australia can't go back to the way we lived before. Labor's Bill Shorten, the minister in charge of the NDIS, he welcomed the review and said that big government schemes like Medicare, for example, needed to be improved after they launched. And he said he is committed to making the NDIS work. But the coalition were not so rosy about this report. No, they really weren't. And Michael Sukar is the Shadow Disabilities Minister. He said that the review, uh, and this is the quote, left many questions unanswered and stones unturned. Uh, he said that he also wants to know exactly how the review will suggest keeping costs of the NDIS from ballooning out even further. So Bill Shorten said that the government's full response to the review would be out next year. And that is your shortcut to the NDIS. Now, onto our recommendations. Claire, each week we like to give further reading or watching or listening related to the topic of the shortcut. And this week, what do we have, Claire? So, Naz Capanella is the ABC's disability affairs reporter. She is blind and she has really taken ABC viewers into her world about how she is living her life. She's had a child, she's got married, all of those things. But more importantly, she does excellent journalism when it comes to disabilities issues. So, she's a really good one to follow. Her reporting is really excellent. Yes, and she is a lovely person as well. And that is it for us. If you like what you heard, please tell people about the podcast. And if you have any requests, you can send them through to hello at thesquiz.com.au. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time. It's Bryce here from Squiz Kids. Kids and fiscal policy go together like peaches and cream, which is why we're excited to present a special Squiz Kids Q&A this week with Federal Treasurer Jim Chalmers. It's the podcast where the kids of Australia get to ask the questions. Tune in to Squiz Kids today to find out how the notorious B.I.G. has helped shape next week's budget, why the Treasurer considers himself more of a three-pointer than a slam dunker, and why his toenails will be painted with glitter nail polish next Tuesday when he stands in Parliament to hand down the budget. Plus, there's a cheeky question in there about his leadership ambition. All part of our mission to engage kids in the wider news agenda. Check it out in the Squiz Kids podcast feed or via squizkids.com.au.